Welcome, welcome, welcome back to the Tomahawk Show presented by Uninterrupted. Listen, the Tomahawk Show is the best podcast in the world. It was J.D. Power and Associates' best all-terrain vehicle of 2018. And you get the luxury of hearing us every week, twice a week, every Tuesday, every Friday. We're so happy to be back. I am your host, Andrew Hawkins, joined as always by my humble co-host, Joe Thomas. And uh, my guy is back. He wasn't here at the open of the last episode, but NFD is back on the show today. I am back. And unlike you guys, I did not sell out and move out of Cleveland. I still live here. No mm. shots. Mm. NFD comes back with the sharpshooter. Joe, <laughs> how have you been since the last episode? What has the reaction been from the fans to have us back on the airwaves? It's somewhere between pure elation, uh, orgasmic joy, and they don't really know what to do with themselves. And they've really just given up on their normal lives because they don't know how to cope with the emotions that they're over that are overcoming their body right now. Uh, so it's really exciting to give them another show. And so soon, just a few days after the, the last show dropped. And I think that's what's beautiful about what we're going to do this year. We're going to hit them up at least twice per week. Make sure we can hit on all the great topics in football, in sports, in entertainment, in pop culture that are going on every single week. And uh, another opportunity to see part of NFD's beautiful face and all of Hawk's beautiful face yes. more than once per week. And I'm way more beautiful than NFD, if I must humbly say so myself. It sounds pretty humble of you, Hawk. That sounds just like yeah. you. It's kind of my thing. Listen, today is our Hard Knocks recap episode. We haven't given any Hard Knocks taste because the show wasn't taping. So we waited till it concluded, which was uh, last night. And now we're going to give you all of our thoughts, jumbled and without reason and not very coherent. So that's the Tomahawk Show. Listen, make sure you subscribe. Um, make sure you follow us on social media at Tomahawk Show. Rate us five stars. Tell your family. Tell your friends. Like I said, today we'll talk hard knocks. We also have a special guest, Pat McAfee, the former legendary NFL kicker who now does comedy. He is the king of uh, podcasting. He just left Barstool Sports after forcing his way out of Indianapolis. And he's going to give us all the hot takes, and we're going to do a kicker draft that is amazing. Um, but to kick us off, Joe, how is your beer selling? Because I feel like you're always posting it. I think that they made you a beer and gave you every single can because they couldn't sell it. <laughs> oh, contraire. Oh, contraire. Okay. Actually, it has been a really busy week since our last show dropped. Uh, I'm working on opening up some more Mission Barbecues throughout the Midwest and throughout America, trying to get that delicious barbecue to every single deserving little boy and girl, like it's Christmas time, and I'm Santa Claus. But uh, more importantly, more relevant, this week <laughs> we opened and dropped the first canned Joe Thomas 73 Kolsch beer from Great Lakes Brewing in Cleveland, Ohio. And they made just enough to supply the Midwest and most of Cleveland right in time for that first NFL game. And I think the people of Cleveland have really responded well because it's one of those beers that's really tough to get. You go yeah. into your local store, your local uh, bar, and a lot of places it's actually sold out because it's so delicious. It really kind of took me off off guard a little bit to be totally honest i knew that people were going to drink it because everyone loves beer but this <laughs> beer actually turned out a lot better than expected and even a non-drinking guy like mr andrew hawkins i think we'll be able to kick back and enjoy a few of these 73 colches by great lakes brewing by day or by night that's actually that's what i was going to ask hawk hawk's not a beer drinker hawk's yeah i'm not a beer drinker will you try I'm the 73 beer no i will not try, try 73 beer 
he he wishes I'll try seven. Of course, I'll try seventy three beer. Mm-hmm. Was there any marketing put into to it? Because Bud Light is not opening up their beer fridges until the Browns get a win. Was it your idea to say, "Yo, just give everybody a bunch of beer now"? <laughs> because we want to no, make sure drunk we- by the time the Browns win a game. Exactly. Is that is that why it's selling no. so hot right now? No, let me tell you. First of all, we, we're in parallel lanes here on different expressways, right? So Bud Light is your classic light beer, but the 73 Kolsch is a craft beer. Not, not every palate will is just be able to appreciate the greatness of 73 <laughs> Kolsch. You've got to have a very discerning palate to enjoy this beer. So uh, the people that are buying Bud Light are going to also pick up a case of 73 Kolsch. So while you're celebrating the Browns win this weekend against the Steelers with some of those victory Bud Lights that are placed throughout Cleveland, you'll also be grabbing a 73 Kolsch. So don't be surprised if you see me and the Browns <laughs> after the, the Steelers win with a 73 Kolsch and a Bud Light, one well, in each hand. Since we're in the spirit of unpaid advertising here um, for your for Natty Lights with your face on it, oh we should also let the Bless me. We'll let everyone know that the, the Tomahawk t-shirts are going on sale today. We partnered up with GV Artwork to drop a Tomahawk t-shirt. You can go to our social medias, at Hawk, at JoeThomas73, at TomahawkNFD, at Tomahawk Show, and the t-shirts are there. So get the information. Go buy a t-shirt. We want to see you at the Browns games repping the best podcast in the history of audio. Speaking of the Browns, hard knocks. It's time. It wrapped last night. We're just going to jump into this thing. My first thought is this, and we're not going to go episode by episode. We're just going to sporadically throw it out there. Juice Landry, I'm all on board with him, man. And I think he's the reason why Dez Bryant won't work in Cleveland because he's too fiery. Dez is too fiery, and they have, like, the kind of fire that will bump heads. He won't bump heads with Josh Gordon because we know Josh is, like, super-duper chill. I don't know if people know that about Josh. He barely talks. But the way Juice is and Dez are, that would be a few waiting to happen. They're good friends. And I'm not saying they have any beef, but they both have those alpha mentalities that I'm like, okay, I see why Dez won't work in Cleveland because Juice is about that action and he wants to be the man. Well, you still only play with one football in today's NFL, even with all these fancy new rules that the commish is putting in place. You can only throw the ball to one person on each play. So uh, if the ball's going to Juice, which is probably going to go over 100 times this year, obviously there's going to be a guy that's going to feel a little bit left out, especially because Josh Gordon's going to get his touches when he's out there. You know, he's such a great deep threat. He's going to get a few jump balls every game, and there's not as many balls to go around. So you got a guy like Dez who's passionate and fiery, who's going to demand the football. He's going to make sure he's telling that quarterback every time he gets back in the huddle when he got open and the ball didn't come his way. So I I think it was a smart move by the Browns to pass on Dez, especially because I think by all accounts – his, uh, his best days of his NFL career are probably a little bit behind him. And I don't think you want to pick up a declining veteran receiver that still thinks he is going to be the number one guy when you have a great number one like Jarvis Landry right there already on your roster. So I think it was a good move. Don't, don't pick him up. We don't need that hassle uh, in Cleveland. Is Jarvis the one over JG? Who's the one? Who do you think is the number one receiver? Well, they're different guys. I mean, I think Jarvis is going to be the guy that has the most touches at the end of the season. Uh-huh. Uh, clearly, he's not going to have as many deep balls as, as Josh. But if you're going to talk about in the traditional sense of who's your ex, who's that guy on the outside that's getting a lot of those big deep balls, that's going to be Josh. And and Jarvis is going to play more of 
uh, your float role where he's going to get a lot of balls. You're going to see him in the slot a little bit. You're going to move him around. He's going to get his catches. He's going to get his third down conversions. Uh, but I wouldn't say he's a traditional X receiver in the offense with Josh. So everybody's the one in your book. And Joe's offense, I don't have to answer that question. Everybody can be the one. Absolutely. When you're a lineman, you don't have to worry about those silly questions about who's the one. Yeah. Speaking of linemen, Miles Garrett, when he's on the show, and I haven't seen him as much with his shirt off as you have, Joe. I know you share him. <laughs> oh, whoa. And you recorded him in the locker room and he wasn't paying attention. <laughs> Secretly. <laughs> but watching Hard Knocks with the dude, he is built like freaking RoboCop, man. Like, he looks like a transformer. So when I see that, I'm like, oh, that's why Joe has a crush on Miles Garrett. <laughs> it's, not, it's not because of his body. I okay. appreciate the body of work. You know, you go to the art gallery, you see a Picasso on the wall or a Van yeah. Gogh. You're like, wow, that, that's a really nice painting. That, that's impressive. You know, Miles takes his shirt off and he humbles about 52 other professional athletes that work on their body for a living. That says something about your shape and the fitness level that you're in. Uh, I would say in all my years, I can't think of anybody who's even in Miles' ballpark. That Not I've Gordon. Gordon's kind of built that way too. Gordon is pretty ripped, but Miles has like the bulging muscles that I've never seen before on anybody but like elite level bodybuilders. You know, yeah. like Josh is, is lean and he's big and he's strong and he's got the muscles and he's cut, but like, you, well, you saw like Miles on Hard Knocks. He's just <laughs> on a different level, different category. But let's talk about something else. We don't this have to talk about one category Miles. Joe's most passionate about. Yeah, Joe will go on forever about Miles Garrett's body. Uh, that is a fact. You know what? A, a, a telling sign was yesterday when I was watching Hard Knocks. Now, for anyone who didn't see it, I don't want to spoil it, but I do want to spoil it. Nate Orchard got cut, if you haven't watched it yet. Nate is our guy. We play with Nate, obviously. But you know where I knew Nate was going to get cut? It's when he was getting pass rushing advice from Miles Garrett. Yeah. Not that Miles Garrett can't coach him up. Not that he doesn't know what he's talking about. But with the cameras and microphones around, that Nate didn't have the sense of mind to say, okay, let me nip this in the bud now. We can talk about this in the bathroom stall or something. <laughs> I'm not going to be on TV taking mm-hmm. pass rushing advice from someone two years younger than me. Yep. And it was, it was good advice. But that's what well, I was yeah. like. Ah. If you're a receiver, you're going to hear that and be like, oh, that's great advice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but my take on that, I, I totally agree, to be honest. Like, Nate is the senior, the elder statesman. He's a guy that's been around. He's probably had more starts. Actually, I think he has had more starts than Miles. But he was sitting there like he was the rookie hearing it from Miles when the cameras were around. And, and uh, I, I agree. If that was me, I would have been like, hey, Miles, that's great, but let's take this somewhere where these cameras can't see because I want to hear everything you have to say, but not in front of God and everybody. But don't, uh, don't you want to learn from the best, though? Not if the best is younger than you. Really? Yeah, but, like, I, <clears throat> Miles is a great player. In my opinion, he's going to be the premier pass rusher in the NFL in the next couple of years. But that doesn't mean he has the experience to be able to expound on like the details of the technique of the position. Now, granted, he could give you some great advice. But for the most part, the reason Miles is great right now is because of his ability that was God-given and not necessarily the way he studied the game over 10 or 15 years. Now, that's not, not saying that he's not a really smart player because he is, but he's only got... 10 starts under his belt and he's only been playing in the NFL one season. So um, I think the advice he was given Nate, not to beat this dead horse, but I think it was sage advice. Uh, But they do play kind of, even though they're the same position, they're a little bit different. You're not putting Nate on the field on third and 10 to sack the quarterback while you would put 
miles on the, on the field to do that. So um, for Nate, he's more worried about getting his assignment right, his technique, his footwork right, and then trying to make the play. Whereas Miles, he has more freedom to be able to just go get the quarterback. And if he blows a gap in, uh, and the quarterback sneaks out and, and runs for 10 yards, it's not going to be his butt as much as it would be if, if that happened when Nate was on the field. What did you think of Miles Garrett's kickback when he was walking through? Dude, that, that was one of the notes I wrote. It was funny because uh, Charter Cable totally screwed me last night and blacked <laughs> out my HBO for some reason when I was trying to watch Hard Knocks. Like the anti-ad read. Charter yeah, it was Cable unbelievable. Those darn Pittsburgh Steelers fans at uh, Charter Cable in Wisconsin. Uh, so I had to catch up this morning, and one of the notes I wrote was, Miles Garrett, exceptionally good pass set for a guy that has never done it before <laughs> that just shows you what type of athlete you are when you can do something that's one of the more difficult and unnatural things on a football field which is to kick backwards not even running backwards but you're using your feet totally different than you do in normal life and he makes it look pretty athletic that I was really impressed with that I, I was going to tweet like hey I think we found our, our left tackle replacement in Miles Garrett just have him go both ways so okay Nate Orchard gets released a couple of other players get released that were fan favorites. Um, we got Brogan Roback got released, the fourth-string quarterback, which we kind of knew was coming, just playing the numbers game. I actually felt most bad for his girlfriend because she was, like, yeah. crying, like, the end of the world. And as a guy who gets cut, as a guy who has a, a very good experience in getting cut, I was just watching, like, oh, it's not that big of a deal. And these are things that, like, I get it when you're young, you don't know because you always have the hope, but you could see coming and playing against. And these are guys that are going to resurface. So I get, like, it's a, a traumatic experience. I thought Brogan handled it like a G. I thought Kajus handled it like a G. Kajus, what are your thoughts on Kajus? I love Kajus, man. When I was watching him and his dad's relationship, I was jealous. I'm like, man, I hope me and my son are like that when we get older. I hope we're best friends the way Kajus and his pops are. Yeah, Kajus was really a fan favorite in this season of Hard Knocks, but I think we should touch on something that uh, most fans that I know and a lot of players, they don't really fully understand how the NFL works. Uh -huh. And when you watch Hard Knocks, it almost reinforces that a little bit. It's what happens in the preseason games matter a lot. So especially with the big plays, right? So for instance, in the game, Nate Orchard, picks off a pass, the fourth preseason game. He takes it in for a touchdown, right? Mm -hmm. Everybody that's watching that's sort of in Nate's camp is thinking, he made the team now. How could you not put a guy that took an interception back for a touchdown in the fourth preseason game when all the eyes are on you? Like, that's a play that makes the team, right? Or when Kajust makes that nice catch at the beginning of the game or Brogan oh, throws God. that touchdown pass in the, in the fourth preseason game and you, you see his girlfriend crying because you know the emotion that she's feeling is he right. threw a touchdown pass. He made the team now, you know. He made that good play. But uh, when a GM and the coach, they're looking at film and they're evaluating the players, the stuff that happens on game day, it is important. And they want to see who kind of rises to the occasion, who are those gamers. But they're looking at, a couple thousand plays mm -hmm. throughout the entire training camp process, maybe 1,500, 2,000 plays. And they're looking at the percentage of plays that you did what you were supposed to do. You did your job reliably with the proper technique and you did it at the speed that you're being asked to do. Like, were you hustling, right? Yeah. And those are the percentage of times that you're doing your, your job is what they're looking at. Not necessarily the two, three standout plays that you had in a scrimmage or in a practice. 
or even on a game, right? You make that sack, but they watch the film and you missed a hundred other ones during training camp. Right. And I'm not talking about anybody specifically. I'm just talking about in general, right? The things that the fan sees are not necessarily the important things because they treat a sack in their scheme just the same way they would if you took the wrong step or the right step. Yep. So it's not an apples to oranges comparison like many fans think where a touchdown, an interception, a sack, uh, giving up a sack, those are like the most important things that happen. All those things are actually graded equally. So while you do get carried away when you're a fan and you're just so emotionally invested in a guy like Brogan or a guy like Carl Nassib or mm -hmm. a Nate when he catches that pass and takes it in for the touchdown, those are not the things that are the most important when a GM is evaluating. And actually those right. have the same weight when they're being evaluated as did you do the right footwork on this play? Did you pick up the right guy in this zone coverage? And it's really hard for normal fans to understand but that's the reality of the NFL. And even deeper than that, because like as a guy who came from the literal bottom to the NFL, the coaches and GMs, they kind of have their 53 penciled in early in the game. Like it's not a wide open competition. Now we know not for first rounders, starters and that kind of thing, but even for the bottom of the roster, they pretty much know who they're going to keep at the beginning. And as a bubble player, as a guy who is a part of the, you know, what is it, 90 to 53, what, 37 players that are going to get cut? Like, you have to drastically change their mind to even get in that conversation. So it's not like equal. It's like, oh, you made more plays. No, it's every single day from a receiver. You might not have catch one ball, but if we turn the film and you had 40 clips, and on those 40 clips you were literally getting separation and getting open every time, and the other guy might have had four contested catches and – his stats are better, but they're going to look and say, yo, that guy can get open. He has more potential to get open than this guy, so I'm going with him. But that's what it's going to take. You have to, like, really change their mind. When I went to the Bengals, I came in at the bottom bottom of the roster from Canada, late in camp. They had UFL players in front of me, veterans in front of me, all this mm -hmm. stuff. And I, like, balled out almost every single day in practice. Every preseason game, I was getting open, doing everything right. And even still, they were like, eh, put them on the practice squad. You know, I was literally, literally one of their top three receivers talent-wise on that team. But That's our humble co-host right there. their mind. <laughs> I mean, the yeah. stats do the talking, NFD. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but to change their mind, it, it, like, it took so long. I didn't get any playing time for a year and a half before they made me the starter, even though they might have seen it from day one. So that just gives you a glimpse into what it takes when you're coming from the bottom of a roster trying to make a 53-man roster in the NFL. You're exactly right. Going into that final preseason game, there's maybe only three to five spots that are in any question whatsoever for the GM when he's making those decisions. So no matter what happens in the last game, for the most part, 90% of your roster is already set. doesn't yeah. matter what happens. It has no impact. So going into that game, uh, let's say Nate, Nate Orchard, for example, may have had a fantastic game top to bottom. Yep. The coaching staff and the GM, they've already decided on their four guys that are going to be their defensive ends for the whole season. So there was no changing their mind at that point, unfortunately, for the player. Now, they're not going to tell you that going into it, but no. that's the sad reality of the NFL. Yeah, and they just hang that hope over you. Like you could see in the – like Nate has an incredible game and he's feeling good and he's like, oh, man, I did I did what I had to yeah. do, and he did. But that was never, like, the goal for him anyway. He just doesn't know that. Players don't realize, like, yo, 
sometimes it just doesn't matter what you do. You're not going to be here, which is sucky. And it's a Same. part of the business, but it's still the reality. Um, we talked about Carl Nassib. And as I'm watching that and he's giving his takes on financial uh, literacy, um, time management, I could just remember being in the locker room when he was a rookie and him going through those same bullshit conversations and me having to sit there like, man, Carl, shut up. I love Carl. <laughs> I love him to death. And we actually had a good time. What a passionate teammate, Andrew Hawkins. As time went on. Like, you know, because you're old and I'm like, I'm a grumpy old get off my lawn guy at that yeah. point. I'm like 46 yeah. years old, mm-hmm. running a 5'6", playing the slot. And Carl is just full of energy, coming there talking about aliens and, you know, why paper straws are better than plastic straws. And I'm like, Carl, man, not today, dude. I'm, just, <laughs> I'm trying to get enough energy so my knees don't hurt at practice today. <laughs> yeah, but it's man. funny kind of watching it and watching it like as he matured and he became – you know, one of the older guys, really, he was one of the older guys on the team, which is a lot to think about, but it's funny. It's funny to think about how your NFL career progresses and, you know, your first couple of years, you're just trying to make the team. And then maybe after that, you're trying to become a starter. And then once you become a starter, you're trying to do enough to get a second contract or maybe make a Pro Bowl or whatever it is. And then you get up there in the year seven, eight, nine, ten, like you and me and Hawk were towards <laughs> the end of our career. And we're just thinking about, man, how am I going to get these knees warmed up enough for this warm up? Like, I'm not even worried about practice. I'm just hoping I can make it to the warm up and right. make it to this practice. We're hanging out with Bob Wiley because he's closer in age than we are. I was just about to say, how have we gone this long in a hard knocks talk and not brought up Bob Wiley yet? Joe, you got to have some great stories. You played for him for what, one year, two years? I played for Bob for one year, and then I was lucky or unlucky enough to be rehabbing my uh, devastating tricep injury from last season. And so I spent all spring with those guys, and I helped out in the room with uh, meetings and practice. And Bob Wiley has come to be one of my favorite football friends, coaches, teammates of all time. He has such a wealth of knowledge. He rarely says anything that I disagree with from a football fundamental technique standpoint, which is amazing because stretching take is, uh, stretching take is awesome (laughs) out of this world. If you didn't hear his stretching take on hard knocks, he said, basically to sum it up, uh, the USA won two world wars without (laughs) any of this stretching shit. And then now we got these fancy bands and then he went on to uh, color it very, very wonderfully by saying, uh, do you think they they pulled out their blue bands before they ran uh, across the beach at Iwo Jima or at uh, Juno Beach or any in of these Normandy. other beachheads that they stormed in Normandy? Uh, uh, he he was a funny guy. He's got such an amazing background. He's like a Renaissance man, you know. He was in the military. He flies <laughs> jets. He's a drummer in a band. He's a magician. He's living the life. Drives Maseratis. He's got champion English bulldogs that he never sees that live in his house in Arizona. And he's just so fun. And he's such a caring person. You'll never find anybody with a bigger heart than Bob Wiley and more funny sayings than Bob Wiley. So he was truly a a pleasure to be around uh, for the year and a half that I had him as a, uh, a coach. And it certainly was fun for the whole world to be able to see this great man and this great football coach for everything that he has to offer. He is a treasure, man. And I, I hope that when we're his, his age, we have the things going on in our life that he does, because everything that you said, I wish I was doing right now, from the Maseratis to the Flying Plains <laughs> to the British Bulldogs in Arizona, all of that. This episode is brought to you by HP+. 
In a world full of smart devices, shouldn't your printer be smart too? It is with HP+. These printers know when they're running low, so you always get the ink you need delivered right when you need it. Plus, you save up to 50% on ink, so you can print whatever you want, as much as you want, any time you want. Huh, that is pretty smart. Get six free months of instant ink when you choose HP+. Conditions apply. Visit hp.com smart for details. You know who I'm hard passing on, though? I'm hard passing on assistant GM Elliot Wolf. Hard okay. pass on his cut technique. Oh, goodness. You talking about he needing more reps? I don't mm. know if he was the cut guy in Green Bay. I don't know if that's – I'd love to have him on the show and get his philosophy of how to mm. cut because I'm like, dude, his technique from bo- top to bottom needed help. Mm. First off, he called the guy, right? And, and for people that don't know, this is how it works. You know, cut day comes around, you keep your phone lines clear because, honestly, if you don't get a call, it's a good thing. But sometimes they'll still call you and say, hey, you're safe. You made the team. Congratulations. Or they'll call you and say, hey, you know, we'd like to see you at the facility. Bring your playbook. But you still might hold out hope that once you get there, you're going to get good news. When Wolf was calling people, first off, he was saying, unfortunately, we got to see you at the facility. So he just told them they were cut. So if you do have some crazy bonkers players, which is what they're always scared about, He's coming in there in a rage already because he's like, okay, I've already been notified that I've been cut. So you took the hope out of it. The unfortunately part, quote unquote, unfortunately, took the hope out of it. But that might be his tactic. Like, hey, I don't want to, I don't want to give him the hard news right in front of me. I'll let it sink yeah. in a little bit. Yeah. But once he got there, his casual conversation needs so much coaching up. Cause he would say things like he was talking to Nate Orchard. And I'm, I don't, I'm not laughing at guys who are getting released. Let me make that clear. I've been released. It sucks. There is a period of uncertainty that I can never explain. So I understand I've been in that position. But watching it, and I, I don't watch Hard Knocks often, but the Browns are on this year. And he would say things like, yeah, so you'll clear waivers. Um, you know how that works? And he's like, no. He's like, oh, yeah, you've never been cut before. Like, uh, thanks. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> Appreciate it. He was like, yeah. You have three kids, huh? Yeah, that sucks. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, dude. Cold blooded. Like, just, just rip the bandaid off and keep it moving, Elliot. Jeez. It was excruciating to, for me to watch. I'm like, oh, man, this is not a great tactic. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a lot of ways for me to go here. As a guy that was extraordinarily fortunate to never get cut in his NFL career, I don't have any experience in that room, but obviously being through 11 training camps, I saw a lot of different ways that players were cut. I had a lot of friends that were cut and it's the worst part, especially as you become older in the league, you become so jaded towards the whole training camp process because you know, you're going to start out in March with 80 plus guys that become your friends. They're your circle, right? They're the guys that you spend 17, 18 hours a day with from March through cut day in August mm-hmm. and so you, be, you you develop a lot of really good relationships and basically half the guys that you were friends with get cut and then a lot of them you never see again so it's really a difficult process and I found myself later on in my career purposefully not building some of those friendships with guys that I knew were going to get cut yeah so for know. instance and, and it's really sad and I feel like a horrible person but it was a coping mechanism because I dealt with so many difficult 
cut days where like yeah. your best friends are legitimately getting cut and going to God knows where. And a lot of times you think you're going to stay in touch with them, but you just don't because it happens every year, man. It's really sad. But, um, I, I found that out of 15 offensive linemen, they usually cut down to seven or eight. So you went from 15 to, to seven or eight. So you legitimately cut half the guys in that offensive line room once cut day went through. So you knew for the most part that those guys in that third line were definitely goners. Right. And then half of those guys in that second line were going to be goners. And usually you had a couple guys that had a lot of starts that were still youngish or, you know, you knew that they were going to be the definite backup. So you kind of already had an idea. There was maybe only a couple jobs that were up for grabs all the way back in March. Um, but with all that said, uh, what did you think of the Browns' overall strategy for putting that cut weekend together? Because, like I mentioned, I've seen it a lot of different ways where mm. um, on a Saturday, on cut day, they had the whole team in the, in the building working out. And then the scouts would come in and kind of grab you either from meetings or workouts or wherever you were and bring you upstairs with the playbook. Mm. You'd meet the coach, GM, and then it was see you later. Whereas it seemed like the Browns' strategy this time was leave everybody out of the building and that the only people in the building on that day were the ones that were going to get cut. Yeah. And those guys knew if they were getting a call, it was like RSVP with regrets only. If you got that call, you were getting cut and you knew it. So mm -hmm. there was never any holding out hope. Like you mentioned, like, Oh, maybe they're going to keep me around or whatever. It was, you knew you're getting cut. You, you had a chance to get that emotional response out of your body after you hang up the phone and you kind of pull it together before you walk into the building and you get to have your man-to-man -man conversation with the GM or the head coach or whoever it was mm -hmm. to kind of find out, all right, what's the next step for me? Personally, I would think that I would like that if I was going through that rather than having to have it happen in front of all my friends and teammates right. and have to deal with that awkwardness in the locker room because that was one thing I didn't like about cut day was being around when one by one the Grim Reaper came down and pulled your buddies out of meetings or lifting yeah. like legitimately he's in a full sweat in the middle of his bench set and he's got uh, a pipsqueak scout tapping him on the shoulder going, hey, you got to come upstairs, bring your playbook. And everyone just staring at him and he's staring back with that look on his face that he just saw a Yeti and right. he doesn't know what to say. You don't know what to say to him. And all of a sudden he's gone. Like I always hated that. So I guess there's no real good way to do it. But now it sucks, but you're right. I think when you do it in front of everybody, it does add insult to injury. There's like a level of humiliation that is added um, to the extra layer. So I've been a part of both of them. So in Cincinnati, they did the off day, then call you in. And it is, you know, you save some dignity because you're there by yourself. You clean your locker, yeah. you go on. Because like you said, it does get awkward. You start dapping up guys. They're all sitting yeah. there looking at you like, damn, man. Yeah. I know how many kids you have. Yeah. Genuinely thought you were going to make a team. Now you don't have a job and I do. And everyone's like, oh, we'll stay in touch. Like you said, no one ever stays in touch. Like on yeah. the episode last night, like, well, yeah, I'm definitely going to hit you up. Yeah, right. Yeah, they yeah. never hit you're them not, up. You're not. Talk. Yeah. Like if but, we didn't have this podcast, Joe, we might still not be talking. Not anything malicious. <laughs> this is just how the business works. And, you, and you're just busy. Everyone's got lives. But I think one thing you miss too that's important is a lot of times the guys that you're dapping up are the guys that made the team that didn't know it was you and him competing for that spot. Yeah. So now he's like extra excited that you got cut because <laughs> he knows that he made the team. He's dancing so it's inside. so weird. Like, and you guys are trying to be friends. It's such a difficult situation. There's no doubt. When I got cut in St. Louis, I, they called me before practice and like, it was like early in the morning and they're like, you know, bring your playbook. I was there for one day. That was humiliating enough. I go, go up to the GM's office, the line he gave me, and we'll talk about Hugh's lines when he cuts people too, but 
the line they gave me was, hey, we're going to give you the chance to uh, catch one somewhere else. I'm like, oh, thanks. I really appreciate <laughs> You're like, wait, you guys have that power after you cut me? You can still I, say what happens in my life? We're going to give you the opportunity to catch one with someone else. That was the line they gave me. So I then I had to go back to the locker room and clean my locker out in front of the entire team. So every player, all 90, were still in the locker room as I'm cleaning out. And they're like, dude, we've been here for a day. So even all those players still hit me up like, yo, I remember the day you got cut. And we were all like, dang, one day? Because I came from Canada. They knew I drove there 14 hours. Oh. So there is a different level of humiliation there. The worst part, like after I got in the league and been there a while, I'm like, okay, I would never flip out if somebody cuts me. It's a part of the business. But I always reserved one instance where I'm like, if, they, if anybody did this to me, I was going to go off in the office. I'm going to give everyone a piece of my mind, cuss people out. Because I've seen players who go through a full three-hour practice and they call them in after the practice to cut them. And mm-hmm. I'm like, dude, if you knew you were going to cut yeah. that guy, why would you make him practice for That's three hours? In this, like, I'm like, if someone did that to me, I would lose my cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you a quick cut story and then I guess we can move on because there's a million cut stories. But um, the worst cut story that I've ever seen was a player that was a teammate of mine in, in Cleveland. He had a big family, you know, a lot of kids. And he was on the Andrew Hawkins plan, right? He kind of uh-huh. bounced around. He didn't have a lot of money. He really didn't have anything left in his bank account. Okay, and thanks, it, Joe. Yeah, I'm just assuming <laughs> on that one. But uh, <laughs> floor. Yeah. And, yeah, and for those fans that don't understand, you actually don't get paid in training camp. All right, you, you get paid like a stipend. Yeah. It's like 100 bucks a day or something like that. You know, for 17 hours of manual labor and uh, loss of brain cells, I think you get 100 bucks a day or something like that. So you're really not making a salary during training camp. So all these guys you're seeing get cut, you should feel extra sad for them because they just put their life on hold for six weeks and put their body on the line mm-hmm. for – you know, a thousand bucks or 1600 bucks or whatever it is. Um, so anyway, so this player, uh, the last preseason game was Thursday cut day is kind of like that weekend. And then by Monday, the team's mostly put together and the classic rookie move mistake is thinking that if I'm on the team on Monday, I made it. Whereas really the roster's still kind of churning over a little bit on that Monday because other, other teams are cutting guys that all of a sudden your team has more highly rated than you or someone else in your spot. And right. so it's not until those guys get cut and clear waivers that the shuffling is able to happen at the bottom of the roster. So this player had kind of slept in the building that weekend because he had like nowhere to go. And he didn't have any money, so he was just eating whatever the food was in the cafeteria. And he doesn't get caught on that weekend, right? So Monday comes around, and a lot of teams, Monday is a brutal practice because it's kind of an extra practice compared Mm -hmm. to a normal NFL week because a normal NFL week kind of starts uh, Tuesday or Wednesday where you really get back into the swing of things where you start practicing and you go into your normal schedule for a Sunday game. So that Monday practice is far enough away from – the next Sunday that you can get a pretty tough practice. And so a lot of times it's a three hour practice. It's still August. So sometimes you can get those hot 90 degree days. They can put you out there in pads for three hours and you're going to mostly recover by the next Sunday. So our coach at the time, we had a really brutal practice. It was like three hours and you've gone from a roster of almost 90 guys to now you've probably got somewhere in the 50 range. So you've cut your roster in half. So you have half as many bodies to go out and take the reps, but a lot of times your reps have even gone up. So you're basically getting 
two to three times the load in practice that you usually have been. So you're not used to it. So you're getting really tired. Your body's getting really beat up, twice as beat up as usual. And so this player thinks he made the team on that Monday. He's gone through this brutal practice. He's calling all his friends and family, telling them how he made the team. And we get back in the locker room, and this poor guy gets pulled out of the locker room after that Monday brutal practice, gets cut, and does not end up getting signed back at all that week, that team or anywhere else. And it just shows you the brutality of the game where a guy thinks he made the team. He's calling friends and family, and he still got cut before that week one, even though he was in that period where he thought he made it. That sucks, man. I've seen that happen. Not as brutal as that, like when you're living in the locker room. I've seen one where I'm not going to disclose the team, but I knew the people making the personnel decisions, I'll say that, and I knew the player they were signing, and they signed him mid-camp, when they signed him, they bought him a round trip ticket. Oh. Which means that <laughs> they only needed him for two practices. They signed him and wow. they had a round trip ticket like four days apart. So he got signed. He's super excited telling his family they think, oh, we got our they have he has no idea that he's getting cut in three days and it's already been determined. We just need you for these two practices. Man. That's how brutal that sucks. the NFL is. But you know, watching hard knocks does give the fans a little bit, a little glimpse of that. Maybe not to the degree we're talking, um, but the, there's cool parts about the Hard Knocks too. And I'm like, my undercover favorite parts of the Hard Knocks, I have two of them. One of them is Antonio Callaway FaceTiming Antonio Brown. And Antonio Brown is sitting in a Rolls Royce. <laughs> and their conversation sounds like a song by the Migos. That's one. <laughs> it's like, hey, you had to do the show, yeah. by the way. Hey. Ooh, hey, if you added an instrumental to their conversation, it would probably reach the top of the charts on Billboard. My second favorite is Drew Stanton. When they called in the quarterbacks and they called in Drew and Baker Mayfield to let them know who was going to be the backup, not the starter, the backup. He's like, Baker Mayfield, you're going to be the number two. Drew Stanton is like, yep, okay. Sounds good. Like, Drew, you can leave. All right. See you later, guys. <laughs> like, he, he had a hard time holding back his excitement. <laughs> he he would have been so happy. three feet in the air, clicking his heels if Ooh. they gave him the opportunity to have a, re- a realistic, actual response. Because for those that don't know, like, in the position he's in, he doesn't want to play. He, like, he's totally not. just collecting his paycheck. He doesn't want to get hit. He doesn't want to dress. Nope. Like, that's the last practice. thing. He's there to be basically a coach and an emergency. He, he's the break glass in case of emergency guy yes. that's going to know what to do. He's going to be able to get out in the field and throw the ball around and get you through a series or get you through a couple games if you have some injuries. But he's got nothing left to prove in his Nothing career. left. He so when you're the three quarterback, for those who don't know, you don't get any reps at practice. You don't even dress in the game. Even, like, so you don't dress in the game. And at practice, the starter takes all the reps with the starters and Baker does all the practice squad reps with, with the twos. So – he doesn't even have to practice. The only thing that would make this situation better for a veteran quarterback who doesn't want to play, I'm not saying Drew Stanton doesn't want to play. I just have known other veteran quarterbacks in this situation who have told me they don't want to play. He's a coach on the field. The only thing that would make this better, the only situation that would make this better is for the veterans who, after opening day, your contract for the year is guaranteed, is that you make the opening day roster and then you get cut the next day. Mm-hmm. So you get all of your money without having to do any work. Or if you want to play, the, the, the next level is you get cut after opening day, your roster's guaranteed, then you sign somewhere else as a backup, 
and then they pay you and you double dip for two salaries for zero work. That is the ultimate finesse of an NFL player. That's one of the great things in the CBA is that once you become a vested veteran one time throughout your career, if you're on the opening day roster and you get cut and picked up by somebody else, you actually are guaranteed your salary for the whole year from the team that cut you. And then you can make whatever new salary from the new team on top of it. So uh, I never got to double dip. I know a lot of guys have, who have, and it's a great yes. feeling, right? Because you're basically making an extra paycheck for free, which is an unbelievable feeling. So uh, one of my favorite takeaways uh, parts of Hard Knocks actually came uh, through last night was sort of the, the, the pinnacle of it. But uh, Todd Haley really cracked me up throughout this whole season of Hard Knocks. I thought it was really funny with his sort of dry grumpy Bill Parcells type humor. And uh, last night, well, when I was watching this morning because Charter Cable screwed me, uh, and you see Todd Haley and Baker Mayfield talking to Kajust about his rocks. I don't know uh -huh. this part. And Todd Haley said something like, oh, why don't you block those guys out there like you're blocking for one of your rocks? Then maybe you'll block them well. And it just made me laugh so hard because he was making fun of his special gems so hard right. right to his face but as as a young player that's trying to make the team you can't like get offended you just gotta act like wow i'm just glad the coach is talking to me he just right. knows my name that's a good thing so uh i really enjoyed baker mayfield and uh, haley making fun of Kajusis rocks on the way to rocks. the field that is a that was a funny funny <laughs> moment todd haley everyone talked about and we'll probably definitely run over time now that we're going to talk about this but todd haley uh Q Jackson interaction episode one where Q was like basically explaining to the new uh, coordinator Todd Haley who's office coordinator and Greg Williams who's the second year coordinator that we're going to rest players and help them basically get their legs back a little bit more than they may have been used to because you know obviously everyone knows Greg Haley or Greg Williams is a balls to the walls coach um, Todd Haley I've heard mixed things from people who have played from some people have said he's a hard practice guy. Some people said, yo, he just chills. Um, so it was interesting to watch on hard knocks that he comes across like, yo, we gotta, we gotta run these guys. And, and you, you know, controversially to the public cause it was like, yo, no, this is my ship. This is how we're going to do it. And we're just going to go from there. What were your thoughts on it, Joe, and the whole interaction between the coaches? I've got a lot of thoughts on this and I think it's important to frame it that it's not that Hugh wanted to take it easy on him. That's not why he's, Right. pulling guys out of practices what they're doing is they're trying to take a science approach to football which has historically lacked any science or data or any right. brains really which is not the same as training. analytics for any browns fan listening a scientific yeah. approach is not analytical yeah, yeah. approach so in every other sport in the world at the highest levels you monitor your players you monitor what they're doing how much they're doing how hard it is how they're recovering how they're responding and you're taking the best scientific data possible to try to train them in the best way possible so that you get the best athlete, the best football player, the best, whatever it is you're trying to get. Mm -hmm. And football has always resisted for years and years because harder was always better, right. tougher and harder was better. No matter what, right. It goes back to the days of bear Bryant and those guys, Vince Lombardi, because back in those days you had a bunch of ragtag construction workers in the off season right. show up in training camp and you had to whip them into shape. You had to get them in uh, football shape. You had to run them. You had to get their fat bellies off. You had to discipline them. You had to get them thinking like a team. I mean, it was like, basically you were 
putting up an army. You were taking right. a bunch of draft, uh, 18-year-old guys in the draft that uh, were in school, a bunch of pencil figs, drinking Joe Thomas beer. Yeah, you, oh, yeah oh. drinking 73 Kolsch beers, <laughs> and you had to turn them into athletes, right? Well, that's not the reality of today's sports, which are year-round, and especially today's NFL, which is year-round, and the specialized training. So what the Browns are trying to do is they're taking an approach and looking at the history of players and the injuries and the type of injuries they're getting, specifically with soft tissues, which t- historically a soft tissue injury, which is like a hamstring or a groin or thing, those are the most most common ones, are from overwork. Not necessarily because you worked too hard, but the volume of hard, high-intensity work was too close together, right? right? So three, four days of a lot of really fast, as hard as you can running, and the muscles deteriorate, and then you become susceptible to these injuries. You tear a hamstring or you pull a hamstring, you're out for a week. So in, instead of uh, practicing you know, in a two-week time frame seven times, you you, uh, sorry, instead of practicing a two-week time frame 12 times, if you give them a day off here and there, you're going to get maybe six or seven practices out of them. So you're trying yeah. to maximize the number of times you're getting everybody together and performing the way you want them at the speed and the intensity that you mm-hmm. want them out there. So you're taking a guy like Duke Johnson, who's got a you know, history of a hamstring or a groin here, and you're saying, okay, after this accumulation of number of practices and high speed yardage in each practice, it's very scientific. We've noticed that there's a high increase in injury on the third day, right? So if you do two hard days in a row, it's okay. But the third day he has this big spike in chance of having a hamstring pull. So instead of having him practice one, two, three, four, five days in a row, we're going to go one, two off one, two. So he goes four out of five. So instead of losing him for a whole week, we just lose him for one day and he's able mm-hmm. to come back and be more recovered and he's going to be practicing at a higher speed and intensity that's more like a football game on a Sunday where you usually you, you practice hard, then you practice easy, then you have a game, then you're easy, then you're hard, hard, then easy. So you're trying to more accurately mimic what happens in a game. And on top of that, it's like over time, like if you – kill somebody's legs you're as fresh as you'll be all season going into training camp it just doesn't make sense to kill people in training camp just because that's the stigma and that's what they say football is hey you kill them in training camp that doesn't bode well for the end of the season now if your team sucks let's say you suck week one you're gonna suck week 16 that doesn't matter that's not what we're preparing for but if you're a good football team because you have a talented roster you have guys who are fresh early in the season the season takes a toll on your body so when you get to week 11 week 12 week 13 you start to lose some of that because your body just isn't built to sustain over that time period. If you look at my career, which again, I'm not saying I'm Odell Beckham, Antonio Brown, none of that, but I was an NFL player. There was only one season in my career that I played all 16 games. And there was also only one season in my career where I got a day off in training camp where instead of going, you know, 40 straight practices, I would do two or three in a row, take a day off, two or three in a row, take a day off. But that recovery helped sustain me over a full season and it was my last year in the league playing for the Browns again I wasn't not saying I was out there breaking records but I was available and if you decide that a player has the ability to help your football team over a stretch the most important thing after that is make sure he's available so you're playing with a full deck and that's what Hughes take was 
on trying to save his player's legs. And it's not Hughes' take himself. He's getting that from the science guys and from the strength staff who is saying that, yo, there's a smarter way to do this so our players last longer throughout the season. And I think that's one of the things that coaches hate about hard knocks is it allows media and fans and people on the outside who don't have a history or background being in those meetings or understanding kind of the ins and outs of a pro football team. Uh And they're in now they're sitting in those meetings, hearing those conversations that are very normal from team to team. I think most teams in the NFL have some type of a system where they give certain guys practices off to let their legs recover, especially after a really high volume, high intensity day. That's a very normal thing. And those conversations that happen in those meeting rooms between the head coach and the assistant coach, it's very normal. But now because there's cameras in those rooms, everyone thinks that there's some type of a rift or this is unusual to have discussion or dissension between the head coach and the assistant coach. Well, let me tell you this, right? Every staff that I've ever had in my NFL career had disagreements between the assistant coaches and the head coach. And almost every assistant coach that I've ever worked for in the NFL always thinks they're not getting enough practice. They're Uh not getting enough individual time. They're not getting enough meeting time. If it was up to those guys, they would meet 24 hours a day and practice 24 hours a day, and there would be no time for anything else. But the head coach's job is to be the governor. He is the one that decides how much is enough and how much is too much, and he's the one that draws the line. And so really, that back and forth between Todd and Hugh is normal. And every NFL locker room, any, every meeting room, every office in the entire league, and it's not unusual, it's just when the cameras are in there, the fans may think it's a little bit unusual. I mean, and the writers, and I get it's like you're not used to seeing it, but for me watching, I'm like, what is the big deal? When I've seen articles written about, like, he didn't even respect his assistant coach, like, that conversation happens every day about something. I, yeah. I, I kid you not, I've seen current head coaches right now square up with yeah, assistant yeah. coaches oh, yeah. ready to fight. I've seen one assistant coach point into someone's head with a <laughs> finger and tell him if he did something again, he was going to whoop his ass. I've seen that. <laughs> Dude, I'm that telling you. All the time. It happens. Like, all and, the it's, time. and they're friends still. It's not yeah. a big – this is like yeah. fo- livelihood to a stick. I get it. You yeah. want to get your point across. But disagreements are going to happen. Like you said, it's the head coach's job to manage that and say, okay, I'm the final say. I'm going to bet with what I think because at the end of the day, everyone's going to put it back on me. I'm going to be the one to get fired when this doesn't work. So I think think Hugh Jackson did an excellent job putting together his staff in Cleveland because he got a bunch of really good coaches who are willing to disagree, who are willing to stand up and say, Hugh – I've been a head coach. I've been in this league a long time. Mm-hmm. I would do it differently. And this is why. But they do it without being disagreeable. Yep. And I thought that was actually a very respectful back and forth between Todd and Hugh. Yeah. And in the end, Hugh said, hey, I'm the head coach. I appreciate you giving me your input. But at some point, we got to move on. It's 10 p.m. at night. Right. We've got another eight things on the list that we need to talk about. And we're not going to just beat this dead horse forever. So in the end, this is what we've been doing. This is what I've been doing at all the places I've been. This is what works. This is the science behind it. And now you, you can either agree or disagree. It doesn't matter to me, but we're right. moving on and we're going to talk about pass protection on key, key protection right now. This is how we're going to pick it up because we're not wasting time on something that's not changing. Exactly. So speaking of beating a dead horse, I think that pretty much does it for the Hard Knocks recap. We're going to probably continue to talk about that as the episodes go on. 
This episode is brought to you by Shell. College football is back! Where the game day excitement is felt in the bottom of your soul and voiced at the top of your lungs. But wherever you share your excitement, ESPN and Shell can take your fandom further with savings up to 15 cents per gallon for Fuel Rewards members at Shell. Welcome home, football fans. Terms and conditions apply. See fuelrewards.com slash fuelyourfandom for details. Shell is an official sponsor of ESPN College Football. ESPN, the ESPN logo, and ESPN College Football are registered trademarks of ESPN Incorporated. Hawk, I think one thing we do need to do before we put a bow on the Hard Knocks recap is we need to finish with a rapid-fire draft. And I'm talking about the most rapid-fire draft we've ever had. And you can actually go see us online, see us on our social pages if you want to hear the whys and the hows of why we picked all these different guys. But I think it's only fair if I start the Hard Knocks draft because I feel like I was the guy that was putting the Hard Knocks recaps out there more than anybody else. So I'm going to go ahead and put the hat on me and start with the Hard Knocks draft, and I'm going to draft Bob Wiley number one overall. That is BS that you – Definitely screwed the draft by picking yourself number one, but that's fine. I'm going to go with Juice Landry at the number two pick. I'm so happy I'm actually in this draft. Once again, I'm going Todd Haley. Top of the second round, Joe Thomas selects Carl Nassib. Carl Nassib. Um, I think we know how that story ended. I'm going to go <laughs> number two with Baker Mayfield. I'm actually have a really good regular draft as opposed to a hard knocks draft. I'm going to go Devin Kajus. The juice. My final selection in the third round, I would like to draft Brogan. Bro, bro. Brogan. I am going to offer you a trade <laughs> for Brogan. It's not rapid fire if you're trading. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. So my last pick, I'm going to go with Drew Stanton because the, the yep at the end of you're going to be the third quarterback <laughs> is my favorite moment in all of Hard Knocks history. Danny Boy. I'm going Greg Williams, king of the one-liners. Right. Loved it. Loved it. Well, so that's our rapid-fire draft. We actually followed instructions here for once, and we didn't go for 25 minutes. Uh, You can see us on anywhere on social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all those other social media platforms that I don't know anything about. We actually don't have a Facebook. (laughs) And you can get our thoughts on the NFL Top 100 there, too. Absolutely. So go see us at Tomahawk Show or at Hawk or at Joe Thomas 73 or at NFD Tomahawk, something like that. And we'll talk a little bit more about why we picked the guys that we did on the Tomahawk draft. And now it's time to go to the phone lines. We got a friend of the show and new free agent in the media space. We got the legendary Indianapolis Colts punter, Pat McAfee joining us. Pat, how are we doing today? I am excellent. Thank you so much for having me on. Western Pennsylvania, stand up. Let's have a good time with this. And I've been a fan of you two long before you started doing your media on the football field as well. Very thankful to be here. Look at that. So, so Pat, we got to, like I said, jump right into it. No, no beating around a bush. You're leaving Barstool. Now you left the NFL, number one, to go to Barstool, which was a, a pioneering move in the, in the sports media landscape. Now you're leaving Barstool. What happened, bro? Okay, so when I left the NFL and went to Barstool, they were literally the only people that would take me. I was ready to move into a a media career. I was feeling a lot more fulfillment off the field. I didn't really appreciate the way business was being handled in the Colts office with the GM and I. Uh, That story is making its rounds right now. He and I did not get along at all. The tip of the iceberg happened. I had a dislocated right kneecap my final season. So I was at the point where I was ready to move forward, and nobody wanted me. I 
I, I had an agent send out some feelers to all the networks. I'm not Joe Thomas. I'm not the Hawk. <laughs> Nobody wanted me. Uh, so Barstool took me in. I learned the internet from them, the business of the internet from them. And uh, the same type of business stuff started happening because Barstool grew at such a rapid rate. I refused to move to New York. I wanted to stay in Indianapolis because I love this place. And uh, miscommunication and transparency of the business side kind of got in the way. And I, I decided it was just kind of kind kind of time to take the next step. And although I lost my serious show, uh, we're still podcasting, having a good time. And a lot of people are calling it a very gutsy decision. For me, honestly, it just seems as if it's it was the right thing for me to do personally. And uh, anytime business starts getting in the way of friendships, you kind of got to back off and reevaluate everything. And that's what, that's what I do with Barstow and with the Colts. Uh, let's dig in a little bit more with what happened with you and the Colts GM, Ryan Grigson. I guess there was a little bit of friction and maybe some interesting uh, background that all the Tomahawk viewers should know about. Well, you offensive linemen are the biggest meatheads in the history of war. Earth, <laughs> this is okay? true. You hate punters just by nature. You've come out on the record bashing the brand, which I do not appreciate. On but the I can't. Yeah, yeah, Joe. I I'm a big fan of you, but I understood you were arguably the greatest offensive lineman to ever play football, and you won zero games a lot of the times you were playing. <laughs> I mean, I would be upset with everybody too. So that's neither here nor there. The Grigson just hated me ever since he got there. Uh, whenever the new regime came in, they painted over the walls in the building to cover up all the Colts history, painted over the Super Bowl pictures, like got rid of all the pictures from before them. They really wanted uh, a brand new team. Like uh, it's a whole new generation. Don't even think about the past. By that point, though, I had already established myself in the Indianapolis community because there was an alleged incident that happened uh, October 20th, 2010. I got a public intoxication arrest. Uh, the, the Indianapolis people really fell in love with me then because I was in a place where everybody in Indy parties and I got arrested for a public intoxication. So Indiana was like, this is our guy. My Twitter had gotten pretty large at this point. I was selling a lot of jerseys. Even as a punter, I was doing stand-up comedy. So people knew me around town. And when Grigson came in, they drafted Luck. They drafted all these new people. They wanted them to be the voice of the Colts or the biggest name of the Colts, which makes sense. But Indianapolis, <laughs> they loved me. They were already loyal to me. So this guy just came in very much hating that I was essentially the mouth of the Colts in Indianapolis. For Andrew Luck, obviously very nationally known name. But here in Indy, this was Peytonstown. And when Andrew came in, everybody respected him, loved him, was excited about his future. But as a personality, it was I was kind of the, the biggest talking person out there on Twitter and everything. And he just didn't like me. Yeah. Finding me for stuff he hated. Then whenever the final straw was that uh, he calls me in after the Thanksgiving game. We already know Andrew Luck has a blown shoulder. He's been throwing once a week basically the entire season because we couldn't protect him. And it just it got to the point where he just was stealing money from me. I viewed it as fines. They weren't affecting the team. He called them conduct detriment of the team, but I didn't think it affected the team. There were just photos on the Internet of absolutely nothing, just funny stuff. And he was just stealing money from me. And I finally told him basically that he can go down a hallway, make a right, go into the third room on the left, light some incense, and go fornicate himself. <laughs> and that's kind of <laughs> people have been enjoying it. Well, I can totally understand where Grigson's coming from because 
I'm going to be honest. The reason I like to hate on kickers and punters is specifically is because when I was in high school, I was a punter and I averaged a stellar 39 yards per <laughs> oh, in Wisconsin. Okay. <laughs> Make me all state, baby. And my whole life, I dreamed of punting on Sundays. And then here is this Pat McAfee guy with his ponytail and his big mouth going out there making millions of dollars, doing what I wanted to do my whole life, but I wasn't good enough. So everything that I say about punters and kickers is definitely rooted in jealousy. So I take Ryan Grigson's side in this whole thing. Naturally. Naturally, you take the GM side. Is Hunter that why he's Rams. finding me? Just to, hey, is that why he's finding me? Just so he feels a little bit better about me making less money? Like, I don't want this guy to make as much money if he's going to do what I want to do, which is hang out, kick, and not have to do hand to hand combat every damn day. Oh, man. I know he, they probably really did hate you, McAfee. Like, oh, could you imagine coming into a team and the kicker is the most popular one and he doesn't give two shits about anything? And he just says what he wants. Well, I, now that with that being said, I never – everything I do is pretty self-degrading, everything. And I right. would never – everything – I have like a, a comedian's mindset, which I'm very lucky to have. But I could see how if you want to come in and be this hard-nosed guy who is angry at the world, how a happy-go-lucky comedian punter – uh, is now basically one of the biggest media outlets in the city you're in. That that becomes a, quite a – I could see how he hated me, but the way he treated me – because I worked, you know. I, I showed up. I went to work. I did my job better than anybody else. I was always – I did. that's where I was coming from. It's like, hey, man, what are you – because I post jokes on the internet. Like, just relax, dude. Right. I'm doing my job better than – you know what I mean? That's kind of – and it just, it just got to the point where it was not not a good thing. Well, that's, what I, that's how I know that a coach or a GM is bad, when they worry about stuff that doesn't matter in the grand mm -hmm. scheme. Like, we would have coaches, the Browns, and Joe could attest to this, we would have coaches who would gripe over the stupidest things, like people getting fined for not putting their weights back in the, in the, in the weight room, or, like, things that didn't matter. Like, yo, we just got beat by 37 points. Like, and you're talking <laughs> about we're not racking five-pound weights? Are you serious? I like think I was like the one handing out those fines, Hawk, because I got really tired of you leaving your five-pound weights <laughs> all in the weight room. And I'm trying to come through with my 170s, and I'm tripping, and it's a, it's a hazard. I'm going to hurt myself. So that's a legitimate <laughs> The other stuff I'm on board with. Touche, touche. Now, you said about people being mad at the world. We're going to come back to GMs that are angry at the world, Pat, because i got to ask you another question. Before we get there, you're leaving Barstool. You said it was the business side. Was it the same kind of business side that was at the Colts? Were they finding you at Barstool? For putting up pictures on Instagram. <laughs> no, they weren't finding me. They were promoting that. Actually, they would want that. That's what the <laughs> internet is. the The business side of podcasting is a very good business. It's. Uh, I don't think a lot of people respect it as much as mainstream media. But the internet right now, if you know how to create things and put things out that people enjoy. Sponsors are trying to reach and advertisers are trying to reach this generation in a bad way. So whenever you're putting out a, a podcast that get a few hundred thousand downloads or video content that get a couple hundred thousand views, advertisers love this. And that's the big business side. And when advertisers are getting pulled out of my pocket, basically, 
and put into the New York office because of a conflict of interest. Like, and we're not just talking like a, this is a, a $500,000 worth of ads just getting pulled a day before because another deal was made in New York. That's when things can get a little bit, the mm. waters can get a bit muddy, you know? Gotcha. So it's a situation where Dave Fortnoy, president of Barstow and Erica, would have no idea that any of this was happening because they have an entire sales team and sales floor. Uh, but those types of deals started happening. And with me not being in the, in the building every day, talking to the salespeople, me being 730 miles away, there was just a lot of money getting decisions getting made for me that I did not appreciate. Did you ever think just to drive up there and fight? Because I feel like as I get yeah. transitioned out of being an athlete, my soul, people <laughs> who mess with my money, is like, you know what? I'm just going to go up there. We're going to fight and just solve it that way. But you can't do that on this side. Was that your first instinct, McAfee? So, Hawk, it's very interesting you say that because I'm a punter, right? So I'm the weakest dude on the team by far, regardless <laughs> of whatever football team it is, right? But I come out here into the real world. I'm 6'1", 240 right now. And mm -hmm. you start dealing with somebody like Mike Silver, for instance, on NFL Network. Um, wow. Joe Thomas. <laughs> hold on. If Joe Thomas – if Joe Thomas wants to bash punters because he played, that's cool with me. If a coach wants to bash punters, that's cool with me. But if you're a five foot ten little scrawny media guy who <laughs> wants to bash punters, uh, like my first thought is, I would ruin you. And it's because it, that's the first thought, Hawk. That is the first Hawk thought. But now we're in a world where fighting is kind of frowned upon. So now you got to do it in a verbal joust and just it's WWE promo style. Huh? Yeah. No, I like that. I like that. Just thug it out on the, on the internet because you're not allowed to fight. I love it. Yeah. Well, you can't fight in the world anymore. You fight, you end up in jail for like 10 years if you don't have the right lawyer. <laughs> no, you ain't, you ain't lying. Well, look, you know, the, you know the business of the internet. All right, Joe, Joe has something. No, I mean, I don't have anything interesting, like per the usual, but – um, it sounds like you're kind of a free agent right now in the media space. And uh, I know, you know, the things with you and Barstool didn't work out because of money. Well, the great news about the Tomahawk show is we actually don't have any money that we make. So we wouldn't be splitting up anything. And there clearly wouldn't be any issues because when you break nothing up, you still are with nothing. So we'll never take any more money away from you than you already have been taken away from. So uh, this, I guess, is our little pit to recruit you to the Tomahawk show. I don't think we have a spot available, but certainly like a sideline reporter or maybe even like uh, the coffee boy would be a, a position that's available. I'm sure we could probably get our legal team to write up maybe a document for you that uh, could clearly outline how much you're getting paid and what you have to do for it. Um, what do you think about it? Well, I think a podcast coffee boy is probably the equivalent to a punter with an NFL team. So I, I honestly feel like I'd fit in pretty nice right there. And it's hard to feel disrespected whenever there's nothing to be disrespected about when it comes to cash wise. I don't know how I could turn this down to be this honest. This is a really good deal, McAfee. I can promise you that right now. What kind of money is it going to take for someone to take you? Like if we were to Tomahawk and we were actually negotiating right now, what is the ballpark? What, what would it take? I know you want to sign. Hawkins Patriots jersey. I was there for like two months. So it's a practice jersey. But we can throw that in there. Joe has his own beer in Cleveland, so he can get at least 40 cases of that. I don't know about that. We don't have that many cases available, but I could oh, get you a yeah. six-pack. I don't think they've been selling the way you've been advertising. <laughs> if you drank them really fast, if you funnel them all in one <laughs> sitting, we could get you a little buzz. We can get you a buzz. Uh, what kind of money would it take? Are we 100 well, grand? Would that do it? 
Uh, yeah, I think if I got a chance no. to chat with you guys on a regular basis, a hundred thousand would be good. But I would still <laughs> need to be able. That's not exclusivity. Uh, I would still have to be able to run. Okay. Right now, I am like the last two days this weekend after I announced that I was a free agent. It has been a complete whirlwind of businesses, sponsors, networks calling, and we picked up every sponsor right back. Uh, so my podcast business is doing pretty good still. So I have to put out two of those a week. But I, I honestly, if I could hang out with you guys and talk to you guys on this conference call that needed a nine-digit code to get into, <laughs> if I could do that on a regular basis, I would be honored to grab coffee for you guys and do that for free, for sure. We'll have our legal team hit you up. Our legal team is Joe. So Joe is going to side text you. You got the muscle. We'll work the, we work the deal out. All right. So what we want to do now is what we're famous for in our show is drafts. We draft things. We draft the most random stuff you can imagine um, because everybody loves drafts and drafts are overvalued the way Joe says. So what we're going to draft today with you, Pat, is kickers. So we're all going to have one pick per round. We're going three rounds. We'll start it off. Since you're the guest of honor, Pat, you're going to lead the draft. You have the number one overall pick. Joe will go number two. Since I'm the most humble on this uh, episode, I'll go number three. And we're going to go three rounds, kickers, people who kick shit. It doesn't have to be kickers. It doesn't have to be punters. It doesn't – anything that kicks, we're drafting, and then we're going to take it to the social media and let them decide who the winner is. Before we kick the draft off, I want to propose a trade to Mr. McAfee. I'm going to trade you the third overall pick for the first overall pick and my first – round pick in the next draft we do when you come back on the show do you want to take it okay so i'm getting a third and a one on the next show you're getting you're getting two ones you're getting my first rounder this draft my first rounder no, next it's draft. basically the third pick it's basically a third round pick though this is the third round pick because it's only has no, one we yeah. have three rounds so it's, it's my first round We're doing round three pick. rounds of this kicking thing yes <laughs> i can't Ew. think of that oh. many kickers well, wait, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get to the drawing board here. I'm going to keep the first, by the way. Go to hell. No right. deal <laughs> on the trade. He was trying to get you uh, back in the show, so maybe we'll get you back another way. We'll just have to go kidnap you. you I'll give up my second, though, um, for – no, no. I'll All come right. back. But I, the right. first pick of the overall draft right now, Adam Vinatieri. The Vinatieri. goat of kicking things the goat of kicking footballs he's 50 years old he's wearing the pens and he's still going to be a top five kicker in the nfl this year the first ballot hall of famer he can kick a ball he can kick uh vegetables he can kick anything you could possibly need adam vinatieri the goat of kicking things i love it that is a good first overall pick my my draft board is still intact joe you're next with the second overall pick of the kicker draft so the second overall of my kicker draft is going to be the donkey from the star movie. Mm. Donkeys are well-known kickers and my kids just love that movie. He's got great humor. He's got self-deprecation. He's got endurance. I think he's got everything you're looking for when you're talking about a draft pick. And I'm feeling really good about the donkey from the star movie <laughs> with my number two pick. I love it. That's a good pick. I'm, I'm not going to hate on that. My pick in the first round of the kicker draft, I'm going with Bruce Lee. Any rapper that you've oh. ever heard make a reference to kicking it, says oh. Bruce Lee. Bruce Lee is the goat of kicking things, and I would okay. challenge you with your Vinatieri take, McAfee. So I'm going with Bruce Lee with my first round pick. Now we're moving on to the second round. 
McAfee, you're back on the board. Are you? Did you ever read the conspiracy theories that the Chinese mafia killed Bruce Lee and his kids? No, I have not gotten that deep into my Bruce Lee history. <laughs> well, it's something to think about. It really is. Okay. It, it, it's something you should look into that. It, it was a mind blower for me. The second kicker that I am taking is this one particular horse that was at this petting zoo in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania that I visited. I was there with one of my best friends from high school and his girlfriend at the time. She grew up on a farm. She thought she was Miss Animals, okay? She walks into the horse thing, gives it a pet on the butt, <laughs> whammy, right to the chest. I have no idea what his name was, but for this particular instant, and to this day, greatest kick I've ever seen in my entire life. This wow. poor girl, this poor girl, she did not deserve it, but it was a humbling moment for her. I'm taking horse petting zoo, Pittsburgh, no clue what its name is. Love it. Love it. Joe, you're on the board. Second round All pick. Right. Second round, second pick. I'm going with uh, actual kicker here, Lou the Toge Rosa, uh, Hall of Famer, kicker, mm. also a left tackle, Cleveland Browns legend. I think he's a guy that really just encompasses everything that it means to be a kicker. Tough, yeah. big, durable, dependable, big leg. Love it. Trust, tell me this. Over or under, Lou Groza could play in the NFL today. Me? Yeah. <laughs> no. None of those guys from back in the day could play now. All right. I agree. So who's up? I'm up. Second round pick. My second round pick in the kicker draft. I'm going with Draymond Green. Draymond Green, he has a, the meanest crotch kick I've ever seen. It's subtle. It's effective. <laughs> it makes news every time. So he's a champion at that. He's a championship-level kicker. Draymond Green is my second-round pick. Now we're moving into the third right. round. McAfee. Third and final round. Final round. You're back on the board. I have no clue how this one fell to the third round, to be honest. No clue. I'm honored to be here and say this. Uh -huh. I'm, going with Tony, I'm going with Tony Danza. The garbage-picking, field-goal-kicking Philadelphia <laughs> phenomenon. The Disney movie. From 1998, and Tony Danza is a straight-on kicker wearing a boot, saves the day for the Philadelphia Eagles. It only got a 5.1 out of 10 rating on IMCB, but that thing is a legendary cult classic. I love That oh. is an underrated pick. That should have been a first-rounder for sure. Joe, who you got? Last pick. That, that's interesting. I'm going to have to go look that one up. I've got uh, three-and-a-half little kids of my own. I, I feel like that could be something that they would really get into. Uh the number three pick for me, I'm going to go with uh, our very own friend of the Tomahawk show, the funniest guy in the podcast game besides mm. me and you, Hawk. Obviously. Uh, Pat McAfee right here, the free agent. Oh, he, he is my third round pick, and I think that's a great spot to pick a kicker or a punter. Right there in the third round. You don't want to go any higher than that. That would be a little bit of a reach. I like <laughs> him right in the third round. That's, that's properly rating him. I like that. I like that. Nugent would disagree that a third round is a reach, but I agree. That's a good, it's a, it's a strategic pick too, because you show the guest some love guarantees. He comes back since my attempt to trade for a future first rounder didn't work to lock him into yeah. the next interview. Your attempt at flattery probably will do the trick. All right. So it's an honor, Joe, it's an honor to be on your team. I will let you know that I can't wait to really bust my ass in this kicking <laughs> team for you joe thank you thank so much you, and i will it. definitely come back 
he can't wait to force his way out of the contract as he seems to have a history of doing joe um all right so here we go <laughs> last last round pick i there were so many people on my draft board i don't think you guys drafted anybody on my draft board i got i got jackie chan i got uh pele i got tum tum from the three ninjas i got the karate kid jaden smith not ralph uh Macchio. but all in all i'm gonna go with a traditional kicker since everyone else has an nfl uh level kicker on their team i'm gonna go with marquette king now i am of the demographic that feels like yo marquette king does way too much all right i'll put that out there he does a little bit too much but i get it it's for the brand but more than anything i feel like i needed a black kicker on my team so <laughs> that ultimately made my decision since they are rare I couldn't let this draft go by without getting the black kicker. So Marquette King is my last round uh, draft pick. Marquette is my guy. I, um, I actually, when he was in college, I was at a camp with him. I'm friends with Marquette. I, it's been a lot of fun to kind of watch his career go and the ups and downs. And he's so good, though, that you can't help but have that happen. And I, I, I love that you picked him. By the way, Zero African-American kickers in the NFL right now. If they cut the Cincinnati Bengals kicker, something maybe Hawk, after this conversation, you should go in there and maybe take over a kicker somewhere. I think you can extend your career another 10 years. I like that. I like that. A lot less hits, a lot less, uh, you know, concussions, which has been in my history. So I appreciate that. Well, just don't post any photos on Instagram. You're good find. <laughs> Love it. All right, well, that, that, that concludes our kicker draft. Um, we'll take it to social media, see who's the best. Man, we can't thank you enough, Pat, for joining the show. You know, again, you're welcome back anytime. We're going to work out the, the money situation. We'll give you 90% market share of our revenue since we make zero money on this show, and we have no problem doing oh. that. But we'll talk about that later. Pat, we appreciate you coming on the Tomahawk Show, man. I only won 33.3%. This is a – when I get on here, this is – a, an honor of mine, and I would refuse to take anything above a third with you two fine gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me on. I can't thank you enough. You guys have a great day, and it's exciting and uh, to watch you guys grow as these media monsters. It's cool. Very uh, proud to watch you guys do that. Have a good one. All right. Thanks, Pat. We really appreciate it. That was a lot of fun. That was the great Pat McAfee, formerly of Barstool Sports, now unaffiliated and potentially maybe a regular on the Tomahawk show. That was really exciting. And uh, as always, Pat McAfee, he never disappoints. What do you think, Hawk? Yeah, no, I agree, man. That dude is hilarious. Uh, I'm so glad you closed that deal to make him an extra voice in the Tomahawk. That's going to be super exciting. That should push our viewers and listeners over a million each week. So that's pretty exciting. We can maybe finally monetize this thing a little bit. Uh, well, without any further ado, I think we got to get to our fans' favorite part of every show, and that is the Q&A. And it looks like NFD, he's down there, and I think he's got some good ones this week. This one comes from Instagram, Ryan Crane 24 What's the most unathletic thing you've seen in a locker room? Probably just O-Lyman. In general, oh, just with their shirts off. O linemen with their shirts off. I think we both vote O linemen with their shirts off is the most unathletic thing I've ever seen. Yes, and we've seen some bad dancers too. The NFL is actually full of bad dancers. You see all the good ones on Sundays when they score, but for the most part, <laughs> the these guys with, have no rhythm. The ones with the balls in their hand are the good dancers, and there's a reason that O linemen don't get the balls. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Relax, Joe. There's kids listening. Next question, NFD <laughs> from DJ Mo16 on Instagram. 
Joe, when are you going to get an Instagram? That's a good question. I'm never going to get an Instagram. I find that Instagram is the ultimate time-wasting rabbit hole. And I've got <laughs> enough things in my life that waste time. And I certainly don't need to add one more thing. Yes. Tomahawk wastes enough of your time. Joe gives the most, the ultimate get off my lawn takes. On anything. <laughs> and I love it. He's really 77 in his mind. All right. This next one comes from Twitter. Max Branster. What was Hawk's favorite route to run? And what would Joe's favorite route have been had he been the second best slot receiver in the NFL? Because obviously Hawk is first. Yes. Um, my favorite route to run was just probably an out route because when you go to the middle, if your quarterback isn't good, it's kind of a death wish. Um, <laughs> and no offense to my guys in Cleveland. I love playing with all my quarterbacks there, but it was like a box of chocolates going over the middle with those guys because you never knew what you were going to get. So I would like to usually go towards the sideline so that I had some protection. Um, so yeah, that was my favorite route. Joe, what would your favorite route be? Uh, my favorite route was uh, going right into the tunnel and getting Gatorade at halftime. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, love it. What else we got at FD? This one comes from Twitter, Joey Hardinger. If you walked into a barbecue joint and could only order one type of meat, ribs, brisket, sausage, et cetera, what would it be? I've always been a baby back rib guy. I think if it was only one thing, it would probably be baby back ribs. I'd go rib. I'd go, no, not ribs, burger. And I like how you assume a burger that. at a barbecue joint. That doesn't yes. even count. There's, <laughs> they never... don't sell burgers at barbecue joints, dude. Yes, they do. It's, it's brisket. It's it's uh, chicken. It's ribs. The best barbecue. They spot don't sell burgers. burgers. Does Mission Barbecue sell burgers? No, and Ooh. there's a reason because it's not barbecue. <laughs> Sounds like it's there's really... a deficiency in the menu over at Mission Barbecue. Yeah, we'll, That's a we'll hot take. The, the the tomahawk burger. There you go. I just invented a burger from Mission Barbecue. Yeah. Now that. The stock is going to go through the roof. Yeah, there you go. All, All thanks right. to you, Hawk. All thanks to me, the Tomahawk Burger. I think that wraps our, our Q&A, and that wraps this edition of the Tomahawk Show. Like always, make sure you subscribe. Rate us five stars. Follow us on social at Tomahawk Show. Um, make sure you go check out our T-shirt. T-shirt is on our social media pages. Collaboration with GV Artwork for the Tomahawk T-shirt. What else we got? Oh, yeah, fantasy. We got to talk about fantasy football. So we're starting a fantasy league. We want to see who wants to be involved. We want to get as many uh, listeners as possible in our fantasy league against me and Joe every week, picking our new team. And you guys so know how bad you. they draft. We are terrible drafters, but I think there's a chance we could probably beat you. So make sure you email us, tomahawkshow at gmail.com. We just want to collect as many people as we can to see who wants to be in the fantasy league. So again, if you want to be in the fantasy league here on the Tomahawk Show, make sure you email us, tomahawkshow at gmail.com. We're going to take a head count and get this league started up, hopefully this week, but at the latest next week. Yeah. Thanks to Pat McAfee for joining us. Hard Knocks episode is a wrap. As always, NFD, take us out. Joe Hawk yourself. <laughs>